Welcome to Atypical, an offbeat take on news in the addiction recovery field. I am co-host Mary Crocker-Cook from the San Jose City College Alcohol and Drug Studies Program. And I am Gary Montreza, co-host, executive director of Pathway Society in San Jose. Our purpose is to both educate and entertain with recent news stories about the addiction field. We've set our podcast up in sections that include drugs and news and ethics challenge and prevention. In fact, let's start off with something rather interesting on our first section. Why would you use that to get high? So many things on on my mind about this, but one thing came up when I was at my grandparents' house rummaging around in their closet. Really? Yes. And you were, what did you, what Mothballs. Mothballs. Can you Ew. imagine mothballs? No. And you're no, like, okay. probably thinking, what, what is a mothball anyway? Did, were you thinking Actually, that? Actually, that's true. I, I can tell. What, what is, is a mothball? I don't know what that is. So according to the, the, the Center of Disease Control, these are diochlorobenzenes. That's a fancy name for something that's in every bathroom in an airport. Or... A bathroom in the airport? Yeah. Or, or animal holding facilities or as I like to call them, middle schools, uh, they, to help control order, odors. Okay. So All right. if you've ever been in a bathroom, you've seen that chunk of stuff there. That is diochlorobenzene. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that is one of the key ingredients in a mothball. All right. So apparently you open this stuff up and it gasses off. The technical term, you, you know what the technical term what, is, right? What is the technical term? It sublimates. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Which so, is a so what, term. the kids just... Chop it, yeah. chop it up? Yeah, they could do that. They, okay. And then they can huff it. Uh, okay, you know? let's huff it. All right. Yeah, and, and all that. And then, uh, you know, I guess some people have have eat, chewed this stuff too, oh, which it was not okay. recommended. No. But um, no. apparently the, the key way to do it is it gasses off and it can cause all kinds of interesting side effects, one would imagine. Oh, okay. um, can you imagine some of these side effects? Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't you tell us? Well, how about this one? It goes without saying, this is an article, a teen using mothballs to get high. It goes without saying that people do a lot of weird things in their attempts to get high. When an 18-year-old French woman entered a hospital unsteady on her feet, mentally sluggish, and with scaly skin on her hands and legs, doctors were unsure what was going on. Her twin sister had the same problem, albeit to a lesser degree, but there was no history of anything, anything like this in their family. It wasn't until they uncovered a bag of mothballs in their hospital room that it became clear what was going they on. Brought, they brought the mothballs they brought to the hospital. Their own cleaning products okay, to the hospital. Okay. So they were huffing and puffing and all in that the other hospital. stuff. In the hospital. Okay. And um, okay. so, you know, again, wow. let me point out they're used for insect killer, deodorizers, um, herbicides. Okay. You know, every time I think about weird stuff like this, I think, who was the first person? Who thought, I wonder what would happen if I crushed this up and sniffed it, you know? I, it makes you wonder about that. I think the same thing. And then if you've ever been into uh, an airport bathroom, yeah. you know that smell? Yeah. That is it. That is the mothball That's smell. the stuff. So when if you're in a restroom and you look at that chunk of white stuff that's deodorizing the toilet, think about getting high. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will, Gary, the next time. <laughs> <laughs> And it might explain why people miss so many flights. <laughs> They're disoriented. I know. I'm a whole new perspective on the airport bathroom. You, you okay, understand? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. You okay. So well, with that, I'm going to shift into our next section, which is um, uh, news in addiction. And I want to start with an NPR article. 
A uh, California company says it's created an instant marijuana breath test device. Uh, one of the ongoing challenges um, of uh, legalizing marijuana is this impairing driving issue, right? Yeah. So far, they've had trouble creating an accurate roadside tool like they do for um, alcohol. So tools now on the market to determine marijuana test blood, saliva, urine, and they take days. And the problem is that even if you can, even if you're positive, mm -hmm. they can't tell whether you smoked a half an hour ago or eight hours ago. Sure. Or eight days ago because it's, it's stored up in your fat system. So there's a California company, Hounds Lab in Oakland, claims it's made a major breakthrough in creating a marijuana breathalyzer. Can I, can I guess what the breakthrough is? What is the breakthrough? Do they need a breathalyzer for this? They want, they, the police want one. Can't they just go along the freeway and find people that are pulled over eating lots of junk food? Edibles and, and yeah, junk edibles, food? You think? Actually, no. the way I find them is I get behind them and they're driving really slow. Yeah, they drive in the slow. right lane. Very mellow. Yeah, very mellow. Yeah. They smell bad. On the freeway. Yeah. Okay, well, theoretically, they need an additional proof mm. beyond the obvious. Um, so it can accurately detect whether they've smoked pot in the last two hours, which apparently is the peak impairment time. The CEO is Mike Lynn. He's a practicing emergency room trauma physician in Oakland. He was a SWAT team deputy reserve sheriff. So he's a real underachiever. He cares about this. Yeah. Uh, it's a small plastic disposable cartridge that slips into a device the size of a large mobile phone with a tube at the end. So the idea is that you blow into this tube for 30 seconds, and then indicator bars will tell you whether there's any THC. Wow. Um, so then they put this cartridge into a base station the size of a laptop, um, and that's supposed to protect from temperature. And then um, it doubles also as an alcohol breathalyzer, so you've got you know a twofer. A twofer. And you have to wait four minutes, and then you get the uh, results. So uh, there's some police departments that are going to start, you know, experimenting with this thing. The major challenge is there's no universal agreement about the amount or level of THC in the breath that constitutes functional impairment. That's what I was going to ask you. Okay. So it's all over the map, isn't it? Yeah, there's no, um, so far only seven states, Washington and Montana have set legal guidelines about how much THC in the system makes you dangerous behind the wheel. Um, though Highway safety says that drug-drived incidents have risen steadily, interestingly paralleling the nation's opioid abuse crisis and the decriminalization of pot. So, in fact, uh, highway safety now rates drug-impaired driving as equal to or uh, more important than driving while impaired by alcohol. In fact, they even <clears throat> call it a silent epidemic because there's a widespread misconception that it's okay to drive after smoking pot. So... And add that to texting and yeah. Now we can text, things. text. We can drink. We can go to the drive-through, and we can smoke weed all yeah. at one time. All at one time. I'm look, I'm hands-free. Wait, actually, I wonder if you could do that. Yeah. Well, that's the point of an Uber, right? Yeah. You can actually do all of it at the same time. Well, hands-free of anything, meaning the steering wheel. They're not on the steering wheel. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah. It's free of any steering wheel. But fortunately, you're driving really slow, so it's okay. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a related article: Pot for Pets. The U.S. federal law puts vets in a quandary. There's a wave of medical research providing fresh evidence that marijuana, particularly CBD, may help dogs and cats cope with arthritis, epilepsy, anxiety, and other maladies without the side effects of other drugs. But vets are not allowed to discuss this with their human uh, patients. Um, the cannabis plant, CBD, is the featured ingredient in hemp oils, chews, other pet products. So wait a minute. Yeah. 
the little pets are, are covered under 42 CFR. They, they indeed are. And HIPAA. They are, Gary. Are you kidding? They, they in fact. It's important. In fact, a vet's uh, Cornell. Mm. Uh, Cornell University says CBD increases comfort and activity in dogs with arthritis, um, and it actually reduces seizures in dogs with epilepsy. Um, interestingly, 30 states have legalized medical marijuana, but none of them have provisions for animals. So hmm. vets are reluctant to even discuss marijuana because it is still illegal under the federal law, and it puts their professional license at risk. Sure. So while you can, you and I can go see our physician, and they can even write us a prescription, a vets are not allowed to even have this conversation. So a lot of pets may be suffering because Exactly. Of... Well, pet owners are actually going to the internet, which is where we get most of our medical information anyway. <laughs> Apparently... <laughs> California says, no, no, let's let's pass our law. It would be the nation's first law. Of course, it would be California. Wow. Giving vets the legal cover they need to have the cannabis conversation about pets. A human can get their doctor's advice, but a dog can't legally. It is bizarre, says Judy Bowl of Beaver Island, Michigan. Um, so actually, Judy did research on her home computer and convinced her to give her 40-pound Australian cattle dog cannabinoid dog chews. Five months later, he's calmer, more energetic, liver functioning is normal. This yeah. is an Australian what? He's a, he is an Australian cattle dog. Okay, so Good I see a problem right off the bat. <laughs> this dog's not going to be herding cattle he's anymore not gonna if he's going to well. be stoned. I'm thinking he's going to be really the into the Grateful Dead. I think yeah. just relaxing a lot. Exactly, they're going to be hanging. Poaching snacks from all, everyone right. that comes on the ranch. <laughs> it's over with. It's His snout's going to be in the feed barrel. Okay. Done. At present, veterinarians are in violation of California law if they even bring uh, cannabis into their practice. So there you go. That is today's news information from is our it, field. Are, is it possible that these pets are really just going to be using cannabis because of neurotic owners Well, and dealing with the owners? You know what? That's a really good question. I mean, these are... These are Questions that really need that to be worked out. That, that, that in fact, the owners are making the animals anxious, and so now the animals need pot. It's a really vicious that loop. A, that's like an entire show. Well, that's itself. an ethics. Okay. I think there's an ethical uh -oh, issue ethics there. challenge. Oh, okay. Ethics challenge. Okay, everybody. Addiction counselors acting badly. Here we go. All right, Mary. It's time for our ethics challenge, um, which means some people have challenges with ethics. And no, we're not talking about Congress or the White House right now. Um, <laughs> So this is the idea of addiction counselors acting badly. If you're an addi addiction counselor, you can get out your CCAP ethics code right now and follow along. And we'll have a link to our uh, atypical podbean.com link yeah. in, in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So here it goes, Mary. I'm going to read this story. It's from Facebook. Here's the idea. Facebook page that led to 30 drug rehab arrests. Ooh, okay. Again, I know what you're thinking, Congress of the White House. Nope. Delray Beach, Florida. Florida. Okay. So here's the, here's the background. So Facebook's involved, of course, but, and as we know, it's a, the most relevant social media platform. And, and although it's so relevant, young people are quitting in yeah, droves, yeah. right? Well, apparently because they're tired of sharing it with their grandmother. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's probably mothballs involved in there too. But <laughs> it has been more and more important, with, though, for law enforcement. Okay. So maybe that's why the young folks are leaving, because law enforcement has caught on. For one detective in Delray uh, Beach, Florida, part of the rehab capital of America, 
and a major hub of opioid, uh, the opioid epidemic, Facebook has been essential in the fight against corrupt operations in the area's drug rehabilitation industry. Okay. So I didn't know that Florida was kind of the epicenter. Oh, it is. For, uh, so Florida and Mal- Malibu down there in Southern California. Yeah. Those are the two rehab Riveras. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, here we go. So Detective Nicole Lucas credits her Facebook page, which prompts people to share information about negative experiences at rehab centers and sober homes. So for more than 30 arrests since she launched in June 2016. Wow. So here's what she says. I don't think it's ever been done before. Not with this success rate, she says. I'm not sure what she means. Okay. I mean, people talking and arrests. But okay. Lucas created the page uh, first using her last name and first name, her real name, okay. not an alias. When she learned about... Uh, She'd be joining the state attorney Dave Ehrenberg's Sober Homes Task Force, which aims to reform the area's sober homes industry by shutting down, you know, people that aren't doing a good job. They're kind of um, what we call looters. Yeah, you know, they are really known as um, uh, they actually uh, poach. You know, like they'll go yes. around and pay people to come into their sober living homes and that kind of thing. Patient brokering. Yeah, patient brokering. One of the one of the yeah. ideas. So we we know what a sober home is. I'm, I think everyone here probably knows. But residents are meant to be supported while they're continuing their recovery and being monitored for drug use. So the main thing is these are largely unregulated homes. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's what uh, Detective Nicole Lucas has to say. Social media is the best way to contact the most people in the shortest amount of time. Lucas says about creating her page. She announced it on uh, June 2016 that she was seeking patients first-hand accounts of abuse as well as second-hand intel such as from patients, family members, or sponsors. Lucas promised confidentiality to all who came forward. So this is funny. The detective used her own name. Wow. Right, right. Just right up there. Okay. This is who I am. Okay. So I wasn't sure how it would be received and if the population I was trying to connect with would accept me or not, she recalls. The page took time to gain momentum, but it took off within three months. I could have had an assistant whose whole job was managing this page because I would get messages day and night, she says. It was out of control. I had to write dozens of reports with Facebook tips. It's like a modern-day Crime Stoppers line. Oh, my God. So here's the that's here, really awful. here's the case. So that's the background. So here's the case. Today she has more than two thousand Facebook friends, I guess, and and she says that almost every bit of intel she's received has been helpful for aiding existing cases or promoting new investigations. So here, here's wow. where I want you to clutch your ethics. I'm gonna clutch my pearls. Pages right ethics now. Pearls? Okay. Tightly. Okay. One of those existing cases was an investigation of Kenneth Chapman. A drug oh. treatment provider in South Florida who was, was arrested in December of 2016 and sentenced to 27 and a half years in prison the next year oh. for insurance fraud. Oh, oh. So here we go. It's Get ready. Through connections made through her page, Lucas had a person recovering from addiction in one of her centers give a sworn statement that Chapman paid him in heroin. Oh, God. To live in one of his sober homes and collect money from visitors who sexually assaulted female residents who were drugged oh. and held against their will. Their will. Oh. Does anyone see problems? That here? is so awful. Yeah. This is okay, the- let's all get out our. Okay, first of all, this but this one, Gary. Hmm. We're gonna have more than one ethics violation here. Okay. 
I see some problems. There's some problems with this. I see okay? some problems. And it's so it's actually so sad that she had such a large response. Okay. All right. First of all, I'm immediately thinking the principal three competence. Uh, that we're not we're not supposed to um, allow as a um, as a counselor. Uh, the practice of alcoholism and drug abuse counseling by unqualified and unauthorized people. Yeah. Clearly, we got that one. And then on, um, we, on the next page, we got principle five, public statements. So uh, we're supposed to represent the field of alcoholism to clients fairly, accurately. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Principle seven, client <clears throat> welfare. Welfare, yeah. Okay. We, in the presence of professional conflict, again, the whole point is the welfare of the client. Okay, and then I, I flipped on over to principle 11, remuneration, okay, in terms of how we manage our financial mm-hmm. responses. And we do not, Gary, pay our patients in heroin. We just, we, it's just not done. Okay, I, I'm just saying. Let me saying. give you this, you know, yeah, that illicit drug. Illicit so drug. You, you know, I think that's the same guy, actually, because I remember when he was busted, that what they would do is... People, they would have people, because um, they use their Medi-Cal, so they'd have them sign up for outpatient, hmm. and they would give them all five bucks to come in and just sign in and out. Yeah. And so, they, so they'd actually literally give them money, sign in your name, and then they go out and buy drugs with the money they gave them to sure. sign their name. So there you go, Gary. But see, if this wasn't a licensed place, what, what's the problem? Yeah. What? I mean, what, I mean this is not a license, right? I mean, I just... <laughs> So you don't have to have any ethics if it's okay, not licensed, Okay, you kind of right? do, Gary. Oh, okay. You kind of do. Just, I, Thanks for asking that question, though. I just thought in case anyone out there was thinking, hey, you know, it's not licensed. Yeah, it's, not it's really a free-for-all. Many regulations, people just on their own. Well, vote. you do make an argument, though. Yeah. You know, in a smart-ass way that it really is sure. kind of important that we do have oversight and licensure. And, in fact, we could talk about this in another show, but um, um, California right now is trying to pass a brokering thing because it's off the hook in in, uh, Southern California. Mm -hmm. So we have a similar kind of thing and they're trying to pass some regulations around sober homes for that exact reason. Yeah, and and really uh, Southern California is the leader in in these types of of ideas. (laughs) They really have, remember? (laughs) The drug medical uh, abuses of they were the medical years ago. Hub. Yeah, they they really You're exactly are exactly so right. So they're you know, they're innovators in so many ways. They are. They're uh, achievers. They okay. really are. Good job. So, okay. Well, I, that was very exciting. That was a hoot. Um, <laughs> let's shift to our next section: relapse prevention ways people are staying sober. And I came across um, this prevention article: hmm. a new sixteen hundred dollar a month heroin fighting medic- medicine is a game changer. It's about uh, sublocade. It's a new opiate replacement option. Um, so uh, it's in addition to Vivitrol, methadone, and Suboxone. Huh. So it's a once a month injection, injection that allows extended release of Suboxone. Um, the problem with the regular Suboxone is you have to take it every day. Mm-hmm. And a person can be fully ready day one of starting the treatment. And they're doing great for about 10 days, but 14 days later, they decide, ah, I'm going to, I don't need it today. And then they're back using her, uh, opiates again. Uh, Sublocade works differently than other successful heroin fighting shots, uh, which is Vivitrol, the other one. It's sometimes described as long-acting Narcan. It blocks the brain's receptors so a person can't feel high. So that's one. We already have uh, Vivitrol. But Sublocade is a partial blocker, but it also is a part agonist of the opiate dose, so it helps with cravings. Oh, great. Okay? Where Vivitrol isn't as much about cravings. So you get the blocking of the high Mm -hmm. plus craving management. Here's the problem, the cost. 
Um, a lot of insurance companies right now are still not willing to pay the $1,600 a month shot. So, <laughs> which is costly. Yeah, it is. Um, Vivitrol was around, <clears throat> I always thought Vivitrol, which is around $750, was outrageous. Mm -hmm. Just a sixteen hundred. Um, so I was just wondering if I know Pathways. You have uh, medical assisted treatment. We do. Yeah. Have uh, you heard of this? I, we have not heard of this. No. Um, and it's really fascinating. I, I would just like to point out that sixteen hundred dollars a month is certainly much cheaper and less expensive than um, spending time in jail, uh, okay, and also spending time in one of our facilities if you just happen to be on the street. So if you don't have any other support, that's a pretty pretty neat little investment to get some some help you know what that is a seriously great reframe that's that's one thought that's um, a great reframe but of course these drugs are most effective when they're used in tandem with a competent counselor or mental health therapist right right you so need it's an addition it's, that's why it's medically assisted treatment yeah, th yeah that that assistant part is getting lost sometimes in, in in the in the discussions we have with people they think it's just something they can do. Oh yeah, just take this be okay. shot and I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how we're sold these things in in our world anyway. Yeah. So if you just look this way, have these clothes, you'll be this person. Right. Well, but I'm also thinking that as an addict, obviously, as an addict, I kind of like things to happen quickly. Yeah, I would too. And so I kind of like the idea of having a magic pill. Yeah, it would be magic. And I never want to use drugs again, but it doesn't kind of go like that. So. No, there's just so much more that has to be cleaned up, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we're continuing to work on it, and uh, I thought I'd bring that to your attention. That's lovely. Okay. Now we're on to, boy, this is the tough part. It's humility check moment of the week. This section reminds us not to take ourselves too seriously. A key to burnout prevention and humility. So who has something? Okay. Okay. Well, all right. I'm going to start because I am ridiculous. Um, this week's offering is something I'm calling the Panda Incident. <laughs> I recently saw a new client. I had over an hour break before the session, and during that time, my eyes had started to burn. So I grabbed a Kleenex, and I was messing with my eyes to make it better. And then I got distracted because, you know... Really, all it takes is a squirrel. Squirrel. Um, and I forgot all about it. You're thinking all that ther so, therapist-y stuff, right? Uh, yeah. I, so while I saw the new client, I, I was doing my therapist-y thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and then after he left, I then went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and realized I had done the entire session with a large black half-moon circle under my <laughs> eye, and I looked like a panda. Okay? He has not come back, and I have to say <laughs> <laughs> There's some part of me that's like, I really get why. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that's cool. Now, does this have to be work-related? Because I have a lot of things work-related. You can, you can say any ridiculous thing about you you want. So imagine this. Imagine you're going to go on a 100-mile bike ride a week ago in Napa. Okay, like I would ever do that. Like but in, in the wine country. That. You know, in imagine the, the tour of Napa. Okay. You're going to do this 100-mile bike ride. And you take off. And you're with a bunch of other people, and you hit the first hill, mountain, and you go up like a mountain goat. You're just climbing as yeah, if that you're would be me. a famous cyclist. You know, just think of the famous, you're Lance Armstrong, Marco Pantani, it doesn't matter. And then you say, you know, I'm a little thirsty now. I think I'll get some water. But that's impossible because your water bottles are in your car. Oh, no. So you set oh, out no. for a 100-mile ride oh, with no water bottles. Oh. So humility is going to the next rest area where there's hopefully a mechanic with a some type of bottle or something I can I can borrow or steal. No, I did not steal. <laughs> uh, fortunately, the gentleman had one, and for six fifty, 
I paid him $15. Wow. Because I was so happy, and I had one water bottle, which oh, was great. Oh, wow, Gary. And I stopped at every site to get water. Okay. So please take your water yeah, with take you. take your water. I know for me, when I'm cycling like a mountain goat, that yeah. is my first thought. Oh, yeah, I just I thought, need to boy, pack my I'm camel. fast. My legs are great. <laughs> Everything's awesome. I need a drink of water. Oh, Okay, well, thank you for joining us to our opening episode of Atypical. We hope you'll join us. We're going to continue to um, uh, be putting in some new episodes, and we look forward to your feedback. Okay, take care. Take care.